Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. <laughs> and the technology. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, it's Steve Spears, and welcome to our latest episode of Stuck in the 80s. This week, an interview we could have only once dreamed about. The Dandy Highwayman visits, yes, Stuck in the 80s talks to Adam Ant. With me as always, he's my own Prince Charming, and he's a proud owner, I understand, of two Adamant concert tickets for later this year, Brad in L.A. Hey, Steve. That's right. I uh, bought some tickets maybe a month or so ago for my son and I to go see him uh, when he comes through L.A. in July, and I'm really excited about the show. Is it, will this be your first time in the presence of his aunt It will be. Um, when he came through last year, I had tickets, um, and then I ended up being out of town on business. And I was going to give them away, and my wife got really mad at me. She's like, why are you giving those away? I want to go. <laughs> so she, she went with a friend of hers. I saw him last year in Orlando and at the Hard Rock Live, and it was by far one of the most rock and roll to the core um, events I've ever seen live. I was blown away from the minute he came on stage to the minute he left. I was, wow, and I was in the fourth row, and he just he like spun his web over the audience tonight. And I remember going back to my hotel room because I didn't live in Orlando at the time, and I wrote this like stream of consciousness review of the show, talking about how uh, Adam Man was like some mythical creature that would swoop in and you know rip your heart from your chest and you know turn it into. Ad- <laughs> It just I don't I don't that's what I was thinking in my head. I mean I remember yeah. looking at the notes that I had written from the concert and they're just like they made no sense to me and so I just did this the way I felt it. And um to my surprise, um, you know, six or eight months later I get a call from Adam Ant's publicist saying, Hi, I'm I work for Adam Ant, he's been reading your stuff and uh he really appreciates wow. what you wrote about him on the last tour, and he'd, he'd like to offer you an interview. Twitch, you say yes, please. Yes, <laughs> I was. I, I honest to God, for a second thought, this is a joke. I mean, yeah, who is who this, is this Brad? Really? So uh, a couple weeks pass, and I'm I'm nervous because we have not yet done an interview in the new era of Stuck in the '80s. Yeah, um, you know, in the old times, you know, at the Times Building, we had a nice little setup where we could record interviews. This had to be done via Skype, so maybe the quality is not quite what you're used to. It's not as easy when you don't have the pro-level gear. But, right. Uh, I mean, I've heard the interview, and it sounds fine. It's a good interview. I mean, I, I was just really excited to hear it. I was really excited you got this interview because I've been a huge Adam Ant fan since 
probably friend or foe really sure. got me yeah. in, onto the onto the bandwagon. But you know, this is a great interview. There's some really you know he talks a little bit about Malcolm McLaren, which I don't think I've ever really gotten his side of the story. You know, there's two sides to every story, right? Um, and for those so, for those who don't know, Malcolm McLaren was uh, one of the very first managers of Adam Ant, but then took members of the he basically took the ants and formed Bow Wow Wow. He took the ants and said, "Hey, we're gonna find you a new lead singer. She's fourteen. What do you say?" Nothing bad can happen from this. Yeah. And um, so, but you'll hear Adam talk about that. Um, you'll hear about his um, his late night rice pudding rendezvous with an MTV VJ. Yeah, baby. Um, you'll hear about his unlikely stay in Tennessee of all places, which inspired his new album. The uh, which the title is so easy to remember. Adamant is the blueback hussar in marrying the gunner's daughter. So I don't think you guys talked about what that marrying the gunner's daughter that phrase. It's you, British. Mean, it's a British maritime tradition. It's like uh, if you're being if you're strapped over a cannon. Well, it's a right, punishment. You're strapped yeah. over a cannon and you're you're lashed. That's marrying the gunner's daughter. That's uh, one step away from being keelhauled. Right, and uh, the blueback hussar is a another sort of um, British military uh, figure. And that is kind of what he considers uh, his own self-image to be modeled on these days. It's not not so much a pirate. It's the blueback hussar. He's no longer a dandy highwayman? He's still a dandy highwayman. And um, so his tour begins this summer on the West Coast, beginning July 17th in San Diego. It reaches Florida in early August with an August 9th date at the St. Petersburg Palladium Theater. And again here in Orlando, August 10th at Hard Rock Live. You can get the full dates at adam-ant.com. And lest you think there's no reason for us to interview him, he was once voted MTV's Sexiest Man Alive. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's do this thing. Stay tuned afterwards for some great reader mailbag letters and our list of top five favorite deep album cuts. But for now, go ahead and stand while we deliver Mr. Adam Ant. Hello, Steve. Hello, Adam. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? Oh, great. It's an honor to be talking to you today. I've been uh, following your career pretty much uh, since the early days of MTV. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I gather you came a couple of times on the last tour as well. I did. I saw you in um, Tampa and Orlando. Oh, right. Thank you. I I remember going home after the Orlando show and just writing this stream of conscious review about the whole show and how it amazed me and the reaction of the people around me. Yeah, thank you. I read that. That was very kind of you. I, I did read that. Thank you. Before last year's tour, it had been a while since you'd last played in the U.S. I was just yeah. curious, what kind of reception had you been expecting? Really, I, I you know, I wasn't expecting. Um, I, I had no kind of expectancy. Um, I was just very, very delighted to see the the, the response. You know, um, I started live work about two and a half years ago, um, playing some some of the small places in London, the Hundred Club, and some of the places I played during the sort of punk days and sort of built it up from there. It took me about six to nine months to get this band together during that period. Um, and and it, had, it had done quite well in, in the UK. We'd had very good response from the live stuff. But 
as I always say to anybody over here, when you go to the USA, it's a completely different ball game, you know. Um, so I, I had no. I had no concept other than just being ready, trying to be as ready as I could um, musically um, and uh, have the right band. Uh, so I think that, that was, we were, we were absolutely delighted that that hard work paid off because the response was, was amazing and we're going back this time to do, instead of 22 shows, it's 44 shows this time. So it's, uh, it's been marvellous, really. For those who didn't uh, get a chance to see you last year but who are going this year, what would be different about your show in 2013? Yeah, well, we always try to, um, you know, uh, you know, present. Obviously, people want to hear the, you know, the hits, and I, I, I indeed enjoy enjoy playing them because it's not like uh, a task for me. It's more of a challenge because I'm trying to get those songs as 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 good as they can sound, as close to the record without any sampling and any nonsense like that. So that's always a challenge, first and foremost. And and I have personally selected with the band. Um, the songs from each album that I want to play. These are songs that I, I'm very fond of. So we've just been continuing to learn various tracks from the different albums. So we have a repertoire now of some, you know, 30 to 35 songs. So the aim is to be able to incorporate, uh, incorporate that into the, into the new show together with... Uh, we'll be playing probably six, half a dozen tracks from the new album also, um, which I think is a good, a good blend, a good balance of uh, new, new and, and old. So... There'll be stuff, though, if you saw it last time, you'll hear stuff you haven't heard before, and if you didn't see it before, hopefully it'll be um, a good experience all round. When I told friends I was going to interview you today, um, I found out that just about everybody I know has an adamant story. Mm. Um, one guy named Julian Fisher emailed me from New York to beg me to thank you for buying a poor university student some drinks at a TGI Fridays in Mill Hill in the late 80s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, said, said he, and, and told me that he'd already bought tickets to see you in New York uh, on this tour. And, and I've gotten photos from people who's, who, you know, are showing themselves dressed up as Adam Ant and Halloween, you know, oh, wow. 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, the connection to your fans is just, it lives on. It, it seems to me like it's stronger than ever right now. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think before the internet, I always had this, um, I always had a kind of pretty good uh, relationship with, with the audience. Um, you know, initially through the, through the fan club, I used to do a quarterly kind of, um, you know, magazine and stuff. So I, I think it's important to, you know, update the fans um, as best you can. And when you when you meet the fans in 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 the street or wherever you meet them, there's a you know I think there's a it, it, you get a, a lovely feedback. Um, you get uh, a very instantaneous feedback, and you you know certainly with letters. You know, I do read all the letters I get. Um, so uh, it it you get a feedback not only on the on the on the on the old songs, but the new songs and the show. And uh, it, it, I think it's, um, it's it should be part of the uh, it's part of my work, you know, to to um, always be um, you know putting time aside to you know get the feedback. And, and when you meet people, it's uh, 
It's nice to have a moment. Uh, it, 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 it's surprising how touching um, that can be and how inspiring that can be. You know, the, the original VJs of MTV have just published a book um, about the early years of MTV, and I, I haven't read it yet, but I'm friends with Martha Quinn, so I reached out to her and asked her if the book had any good Adam Ant stories in it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, she said there was one, mm -hmm. and it involved you and Nina Blackwood in New York City back in 1981 sharing a bowl of rice pudding at the Sheraton Hotel in New York City. Oh, right, yeah. I like rice pudding. It's... Uh one of my uh, one of my childhood um, uh, delicacies, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I, I um, yeah, I, I, you know, I remember uh, her, and I remember uh, downtown Julie Brown, and uh, some of the early DJs on there, and um, I'm still in touch with, you know, people who have been enormously supportive over the years, people like Rodney Bingenheimer and Richard Blade, uh, who, who, you know, come to the shows now, and and it's nice to feel that, you know. Three and a half decades later, you're still, you know, it's still like yesterday. You know, when they, we meet, we meet up. It's like, you know, I've, it's like I've only just seen them. You know, uh, and I, I, I like to, I like to, um, I like to, you know, maintain friendships and, um, and it's nice to hear subjects, uh, nice to hear stories that you'd forgotten about almost, but they do, I do recollect, recollect them once I uh, hear them. You know. Yeah, cool. sure. I mean, Nina specifically said. Uh, um, to say hi and to say that she's close friends now with Jess Ray, a Scottish performer. Oh, Jesse Ray. You, uh, yeah. Yeah, I took him on tour uh, about two two years ago. He's a Scot Scottish guy. Did a very good song called Over the Sea. He was one of the sort of video pioneers. He's a very talented guy. So that's nice that she's uh, she's still got good taste because he's a very very good artist. I like him. He's very good. And uh, and Martha Quinn asked if uh, if you still wear gold lip gloss and if Bo Brumel is still your fashion hero. Yeah, exactly. I do a little bit. It's, uh, I still wear a bit of gold now and again, not as much, but uh, and I uh, I do study um, the 18th century. It's still a passion of mine, um, much of which I've incorporated into the new album. So that's always something that I, I great, get great inspiration from. I, I think history is a a wonderful source of uh, inspiration for me to take something from the past and you know, use it now and, and interpret it in a sort of contemporary way. So I, I think things don't change as much as we think they do, and it's nice to have a bit of consistency in that. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I definitely like to ask you about the new album. I understand that at least one of the songs, Cool Zombie, was inspired from your time living anonymously in, of all places, Tennessee. For a time to live in Tennessee As much of a surprise to me that I would be um, living in, in so remote uh, a town in in, uh, in the, um, the the southern part of America. Uh, it, it was basically I was I was getting married. I was going to get married, and my wife and I I'm sadly divorced now. But <clears throat> we decided to hire a hire a sort of um, 
a 4x4 in Miami <clears throat> and drive up to Vegas and get married in the Elvis Chapel. That was the idea. But on the route, we stopped in um, this little town of Dayton and uh, for a cup of coffee. And um, I, I picked up one of those, you know, in all those truck stops, they've got, you know, property magazines. And I always look at them, and I saw this advert for this wooden A-framed house on the... On the um, on the top of the, the Tennessee Valley, overlooking the Tennessee Valley, and it literally was. It took about half an hour, well, 40 minutes to get up to it, and it, but it was the most spectacular view you could ever, probably one of the best views in the world. Uh, it, it was so beautiful, and uh, I just thought, if I don't do this now, if we don't, you know, do this now, uh, I'm never going to do it. So before I knew it, we just thought, okay, we've got a, we've got a car, and we've got we've got the money, let's buy it, and uh, we, 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 we settled there for two years, and, and it was a lovely experience. We had a very good neighbour, who eventually became my daughter's um, goddaughter, uh, godmother, um, and uh, people kind of left me alone. They had no idea who I was. It wasn't until I, many years later now, I'm beginning now, it's only now people um, knew that I was a singer. It was, that, it was only my next-door neighbour that kind of knew that I was a singer, and that, that was the nice thing about it. So it was a real... A real, uh, you know, sabbatical, as it were. It was a lovely, lovely period of time in my life, and I thought that was um, uh, a worthy, worthy topic for for a song, which came out as Cool Zombie, and also Marion McGunnell's daughter. It was two tracks that could create that story. When people say to me they're going to go and tour around America, and they say, well, you know, we're going to go to New York and LA or whatever, I say, well, you know, you should really go down to um, have a look at uh, Tennessee. You really should go down there and have a, have a look at some countryside, because it is so beautiful. I mean, it, it's just staggeringly beautiful. So um, it, 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 it's something that I'm, I'm glad I did. Yeah, I understand you worked in the name of a friend into the song Ronnie B. Yeah, that was my next-door neighbor. He was in the U.S. Navy in the uh, submarine fleet and he was a big country music fan and the guy was in his sort of 60s he would retired from the US Navy and he had a Harley Davidson and uh, I used to jump on the back of his Harley Davidson and he'd drive me around some of his old haunts and, and um, his mates a lot of his friends were kind of you know the real the real sort of country fans um, and the thing I noticed is in some of these small little local venues you know, little, you know, 1,500 seats, 1,000 seats, you know, town halls, you'd have Johnny Cash, Mel Haggard, you know, George Jones, coming and playing it on a regular basis. So he never kind of forgot their roots. And that really did have a big impact on me. Um, and and they were just genuinely absolutely in love with the music. They, you know, they, they liked Garth Brooks, but they really liked the old stuff too. Um, and it was a, it, I got to know a sort of community, and it was a very... Um, you know, they had a rodeo up there, came once a year, like a, a proper rodeo, come up there and uh, 4th of day, 4th of July parade. Um, and they had an apple festival, they got apples in that area, so everything was like apple pies, you know, apple everywhere. And, and, and we'd never experienced that. You, you kind of see it in, um, you see it in kind of, uh, you know, films from the, the, you know, 60s and 70s about that, 
that part of the states and and it's always uh you think oh you know is that really true but this 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 is a place that's literally everything was like that it was really like uh, going back into um you know the the 50s it was it was quite an unusual kind of um town <laughs> it was quite an unusual sort of like time had stood still from the point of view nothing had there were no sort of the buildings hadn't changed um and it was it was a a, a great experience to, to do it you know I'd be riding down the the road and you'd get stuck behind an Amish so you'd be sort of going down this little lane for about two hours trying to get past an Amish you know it was it was great you know that these things don't happen in normal life you know so it was it was one of those it's um some of the hidden secrets of the state are you going to be able to visit uh, much of Tennessee on this tour um I think this one's going to be you know this is we're, we're doing kind of three on one off so um uh, if we get a moment, we'll, you know, if I can get out and, and have a look around. I tend to try and get up early and have a walk around the town, wherever I wherever I am. And um, but it's uh, I'd, I'd like to go back there at some point. My my daughter uh, goes back there with her mum now and again to visit them. So uh, we have been they have been there a few times since. Uh, so hopefully I'll I'll go back there one day and and, and have a visit. So uh, I'd, I'd certainly like to. Excellent, excellent. Now, I understand another song from the the new album, uh, Who's a Goofy Bunny, then, is about uh, Malcolm uh, McLaren. Yeah. How uh, yeah. how close were you to him at the time of his passing in 2010? Well, I'm very, very, very close to his... Uh, I'm very close to, to Ben and Joe, his sons, are very close friends of mine, very dear friends of mine, as is Vivian. Um, but I'm very, very close to Ben and Joe. I know I was actually with Ben and Joe when Malcolm passed away. So I was getting a kind of update. I remember that, you know, as soon as Malcolm died, uh, Joe texted me at that moment and said, you know, Malcolm's gone. So I, it really moved me. And I went into the studio, I think the next day immediately and um, laid down the track. So it was really something I wanted to, you know, do a tribute to Malcolm because I feel that over the years, because of the Bow Wow Wow fracker, I think there seems to be um, the idea that, you know, there was, uh, bad feeling between he and I, and uh, certainly there was, you know, bruised uh, egos and and certainly a lot of upset. But uh, in hindsight, I think Malcolm was a great mentor to me, as uh, someone who sat down with me and talked about, you know, the structure of songwriting and uh, the history of music. He had a great knowledge of rock and roll. He had an incredible record collection, and uh, just got me to sit down and discipline myself as far as the songwriting was concerned, and also to simplify things and help me decide if I wanted to, you know, continue making records like Dirt Wears White Socks, which was very much a kind of art school cult kind of record, or or have a hit record. Um, and he said, really, you know, you've got to put your face on the cover and use what you've got. So, uh, but it was a structure of, of uh, listening to arrangements and uh, scanning of the lyrics that, that no one else had really sat me down uh, before and, and talked to me about music. So it was, I think, in the history of rock and roll, in my opinion, he's one of the the greatest rock and roll managers with sort of um, Colonel Tom Parker, Epstein, Peter Grant, and there's Malcolm, although Malcolm was far more, probably too intelligent to be satisfied with just being a rock and roll manager, but he was a, a very much a, a unique character, and I think the world's a fair place without him, really, so it's nice to put that on the album. Uh, 
And of course, everyone knows about Malcolm's connection to the Sex Pistols. But I think uh, not as many people know about your connection to the Sex Pistols with the previous band that you were in before the Ants. Yeah, Bazooka Joe, yeah, the, the art school band I was in, yeah. Um, November 75, they, we did a gig at St. Martin's College of Art in London. Um, our drummer was a student there, and Mark, who's sadly passed away, but he he got us the gig, and uh, the support band uh, happened to be the Sex Pistols. Um, I'd already been going to Malcolm and Vivian's shop in the King's Road, which was, called, which was called Sex, and I was very into the clothes, so I, saw, I was aware of Malcolm. I'd met him and Vivian, um, but that was really a turning point for me. After that evening, I realised that things were changing and were going to have to really change, and I left the group that night, and for my, that really gave me the, the, uh, the push to form my own group and get involved with this uh, surge of energy, really. They were like a catalyst for, for me. Uh, so it was a very important night for me, a very historic night. I know a lot of people I've talked to uh, over the years have always cited the the mid seventies as being a, like the most influential part of their music careers. I mean, I the psychedelic first talked about being at at a Sex Pistols concert one time, and and that was the the spark that made them want to form a band. Do you, can you think back to a time where where there was a, was there a one moment? In, in your in your career, in your young life, where you thought, I, I want to be a musician? Yeah, I certainly can. Um, well, growing up, there was always a lot of music around the house. My mum used to have, uh, you know, uh, a record player, and I was forever, you know, playing with it. She had, But she had such an eclectic sort of taste. Um, there'd be, you know, she liked the crooners. You know, she, she liked Dickie Valentine, and uh, she liked... Uh, Perry Como, but she also had a load of Sinatra, Tony Bennett, um, Alma Cogan. Uh, but we, I had a, they had a, a, I had a babysitter who was a kind of beatnik. So she brought in Gene Vincent, Elvis, um, and rock and roll. So I had this this young thing combined with, you know, the um, the more contemporary, and that kind of all got absorbed by me as a, as, a, as an infant, really. And then I was very fortunate to be. Um, growing up during the advent of um, being able to watch rock and roll on TV. I, I distinctly remember watching the first Rolling Stones performance on uh, uh, Ready, Steady, Go. And there were shows like Thank You, Lucky Stars. And then, of course, the Beatles. They were, the Beatles were, you know, everywhere. And my mother used to work for Paul McCartney, uh, you know, with his, his daily, used to sort of um, do his ironing. So I'd go to Paul McCartney's house uh, after school <laughs> um, and go into a room and there'd be... You know, they were doing uh, Magical Mystery Tour, so I was walking in a room and there'd be the piano and the Rickenbacker bass all painted psychedelic. You know, and it was just unreal. You know, it was just totally unreal to, to, to be in that position. I'd yeah. take a sheet of marker out for a walk. So, um, obviously, this was something that was going in. Um, and as much as I wanted to be a graphic designer at art school, um, when I saw the pistols, it was it was always a... A bit of a war between, or shall I, you know, do the right thing, and, you know, make my parents happy, get my degree, and all that. And I saw the pistols. I just left college and just started my band up. So that that was something. It was always going to happen. Um, and unfortunate, and, I, and unfortunate that um, I had, I was in the, I was in 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 London at the right time when this um, this music revolution came along, and uh, and I was part of it. So so it was. Uh, I've been very fortunate in my life, you know, to, to have that uh, that moment. The um, I understand your tour actually begins in San Diego at about the same time the Comic Con convention hits town. Uh, 
and I'm just kind of curious, are, what's your expectation? I, certainly someone's going to walk up to you with a copy of The Fantastic Adventures of Adam Ant and try to get you to sign it. Oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm there on the uh, 12th, uh, 17th of July. Yeah, 17th of July I'm in uh, San Diego. So if it's then, probably, because I know there's been a, uh, a couple of comic books with uh, me and I've been in um, uh, some manga things. My daughter's a big manga fan, so... Um, uh, I know there was a sort of manga comic of, of me, and I also know that I was featured in uh, Tank Girl, because I'm a friend of the, the artist, um, Jamie Hewlett. So, yeah, good. I'll, I'll look forward to that. Hopefully someone will come up. I'll get a copy of it. Excellent, excellent. So so what's next after this tour? A new album, or what What are you thinking about? Yeah, I'm sort of, you know, got got some um, songs in, you know, get working on some, some new songs, and... Uh, you know, uh, that's a nice thing. It's kind of, you know, got me back in the sort of uh, discipline of writing songs. So, um, but, I, but the difference now, I think, is um, you have to, certainly with my own label, I, I'm looking at this as at least a year to 18 months of uh, uh, working on this album. You know, I, I really haven't, you know, I've just begun work on this. We just did, a, we just did 12 shows over here and uh, just did the Roundhouse in London, which we sold out two weekends ago. So coming to America is really like the release of the album, if you know what I mean. And I've got to, you know, you can't... The, the difference before was, you know, if you're with a major label, you bring the album out and you're given maybe a month. And if it doesn't hit off, then it's like next. Whereas with, with this album, I'm this is a very different process. This is something that I really do intend to take it out and play it for people and hope, in the hope that they'll go and buy it. You know, this is a very different process now. So, um, uh, having said that, that does give me the uh, luxury of um, writing in my free time and uh, thinking up a new idea for the next album. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to going out there and, and uh, playing the new songs because uh, so far the response has been really good. And, and uh, because the album isn't overproduced, we, we can sort of add to it and make it a bit heavier. So we're finding that's working well at the moment. Well, I can't be more excited to get another chance to see you. I think that um, the word of mouth on this tour is going to be incredible, and you're going to see um, enthusiasm like you haven't seen since 1981. I think the word of mouth is, is the best thing. Hopefully the people that came last time seem to be coming back this time. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait. Well, I can't wait to see you again, and I can't thank you enough for uh, you know, spending some time with me this afternoon. That's my pleasure. I look forward to seeing you and enjoy the show. There you go, Mr. Adam Ant. What do you think? That's that's a great interview. Um, a great get, and he was, you know, you you never know what you're going to get with celebrities. Well, like I know, I, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get from these interviews. But he seemed really engaged, very um, friendly. Wanted to talk, yeah. very friendly. Yeah. Um, he is to me. It, it drives me crazy when people kind of give me a the raised eyebrow when I say Adam Ant. Um, when you think about music in the early 80s, he was at the top of it. Um, from 1980 to 1983, he had 10 top 10 hits in the UK. Yeah, he was huge in the UK. I think Prince Charming was the number one album of the year, right. the year it was out. The top-selling album of the year. It's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I was just listening to it 
again, probably for the first time in 20 years this week, getting ready for this. And it blew me away how good it is. I mean, I was sending you text messages yeah. like, this is so great. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. Williams, leave yeah. me alone. Three number one hits. Plus, remember, I mean, he did try uh, acting for a while there, which I thought he was amazing at. He's he's appeared in more than two dozen film and TV episodes over the year. My favorite was when he was on uh, Tales from the Crypt. And I think oh, it was yeah. 1990 or 1991 or 92 even. But um, uh, And then the entire week leading up to this interview and then the entire time afterwards, the, the one song I can't get out of my head is that is Prince Charming. I mean, over and over and over again. And by the way, in concert, it's definitely one of the highlights. Definitely one you of know, the highlights. You know, it's funny. Did you, have you read the story about uh, Prince Charming? Uh, he actually settled out of court with uh, an artist from the 60s. Um, because he had basically copied Prince Charming. No. It is a copy of uh, Rolf Harris's 1965 song, War Canoe. If you go look that up <laughs> on the canoe. internet. Yeah. War Canoe. Look, it's, it's, it is, musically, it is exactly the same. Oh, wow. So uh, we'd talk a little bit more about that when we get into the, the album cut stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of funny. I got to tell you, it was neat to hear the, uh, I'll say it again, it was neat to hear the the Malcolm McLaren story because, you know, you never hear anybody talk about that. It's just kind of a fact that everyone knows that McLaren stole the ants. Well, it sounded like from what I read, the guys in, in the, the ants were like, we don't really like this. Uh, you know, we're, we're not getting any creative control here. Um, we want out. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like he came up and twirled his mustache and was like, come with me, boys. You know, so it just shows you there's two sides to every story. It's nice to see that, you know, Adam was at a place where he could say, you know what, it's past, it's cool, you know, everyone's moved on. Um, I love the, the story about his mom worked with Paul McCartney. No kidding. Yeah, I know. Well, that's crazy. Does that blow your mind? I, I so badly wanted to work in. You know, it's it's hard to do these interviews, and you, I have my questions ahead of time. You know, and I'm I'm staring at my questions. I'm listening to him talk. He's talking about Paul McCartney, and I'm sitting here thinking, I just saw Paul McCartney live last weekend here in Orlando, and I kind of wanted to slip that in, but I'm thinking, well, what's he going to say? I mean, oh, good for you, Steve. But I just <laughs> did you pay full price for that ticket, or did you get a group? Uh, that was you know he had two sold out shows here. Oh, I'm sure he yeah, did. Yeah, I mean, he I, just – and know. he played 38 songs. Paul McCartney will sell yeah. out anywhere he and goes. It was, it was an amazing show, by the way. So, But I can't imagine being a young Adam Ant wandering through Paul McCartney's home studio. Yeah, you kind of wonder if as a kid if he got it. Like, I mean, did he understand that Paul McCartney was Paul McCartney or was it just like, well, this is where my mom works? No, I think he did. I mean, when he was talking about his early influences, I mean, he definitely – talked a bit about the Beatles and, and such. And so it, it's great. I mean, that is, that's what we get. We get a man here who is so firmly a part of the punk rock movement that the Sex Pistols once opened up for him. <laughs> that's I'm, true. I mean, that's I, true. if that's all that ever happened to him in his life, yeah, <laughs> that would be enough. Well, and, and, you know, his influence, I think his influence has, maybe people don't see it, you know, when the, Pirates of the Caribbean movies came out. Much was made about Johnny Depp's character being modeled on Keith Richards. Like maybe he's acting like Keith Richards and he's acting like a rock star, but he looks like Adam Ant. Exactly. It's, it's a fun interview. Go check out his new album. Um, cool Zombie is one of my favorite songs. Watch the video. It's a fun video. He still knows how to make great videos for sure. 
And if he's coming to your neck of the woods, I'm telling you, it's the best money you will ever spend. The tickets were reasonable, too. Very reasonable. Yeah. It's a general admission show in L.A., which I'm like, really? I didn't know they still did those. So that's that's going to be fun. You know what else is going to be fun today? The Seggies. Ah, the mystical refrain that is Reader Mailbag. And... um. A couple of weeks ago, I, I complained that maybe we didn't get enough email, and that was probably um, – I probably shouldn't have done that you know, because we get great emails all the time. But this week, two exceptional ones. Uh, you ready, Brad? Uh, I think my voice is up to this. A little wild turkey never hurts. Absolutely. So here we go. Our first letter today is from Robert Mishu. He writes, Hi, Steve and Brad. I enjoyed the latest episode. No surprise. I like this guy already. I find myself updating podcasts every day, hoping that there will be a new stuck in the 80s. And when there is one, bliss. bliss. I told you I like this guy. The series of albums from 1983 is excellent. Being from the class of 1987, you're getting into my wheelhouse. So many good ones coming. Although, as most fans of the podcast, it does make me feel somewhat old to think that these <laughs> albums were released 30 years ago. Yep. Yeah, welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. I honestly never really listened to the Talking Heads much until I went to college and met someone who was a huge Talking Heads fan. We used to sit on the porch on warm summer nights, down a few too many beers, and listen to the entire catalog. It took me some time and a fair amount of alcohol to become a fan, <laughs> but I did. As for Depeche Mode, I'm going to be an unpopular 80s fan here. I really do not care for much of their stuff other than Black Celebration. In my defense, I grew up on a military base in Germany, and The Cure, Depeche Mode, etc. were all enormously huge, so I rebelled. I was a hairband guy, and I stuck by them. Now, Genesis, I love. Some of my favorite podcasts are yours on Invisible Touch, one of my all-time favorite albums. That is a great podcast. Thank you very much. All kinds of good stories in it. This album from 1983 is not my favorite, but has some great tracks. I'm going to defend Illegal Alien a bit. Mm, Okay, controversy. Here we go. Not because it is good. It is awful. (laughs) But because I think it is a good example of satire. Okay. Collins, Rutherford, and Banks are good, intelligent songwriters and have a few other satiric songs. Not not satanic songs. Satiric songs. Got it. (laughs) Look at the We Can't Dance album. Two songs. Jesus, He Knows Me, and I Can't Dance are clear pieces of satire that poke fun at TV evangelists and the state of pop music. Yes, the song and the video are full of cultural stereotypes and sloppy lyrics, but one line stands out. Everything comes easy. Just hold out your hand. This suggests, to me, the need to examine the situation more and understand why this may be a problem. Perhaps I'm looking too closely at this. It is what we English teachers do. Yeah, I think maybe you're uh, overthinking that, but, you know. My my personal motto is, why analyze when you can overanalyze? So I'm okay with it. Uh, still loving the episodes and forever stuck in the 80s. Keep them coming. Robert Mishu. Excellent. Yeah, that's a great letter. You know, I, I should have probably said, we, we should have probably said when we were talking about Genesis, that yes, we know they're being satirical here. But we just kind of thought that even the, even still, there's some things you have to be careful about. Well, and honestly, maybe in their defense a little bit, sensitivity, sensibilities have changed a little bit in the last 30 years. So I don't think they would do that today. Also, mainly also because Phil Collins can't sing anymore. Plus, English sense of humor, American sense of uh, political correctness, you know, they don't always mix. So that's a good point. You know, I wish yeah. I was as rich and wrong as Phil Collins. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that song gets airplay other places, if it's just here that. It's like, oh, we can't, we can't play that. 
Uh, we have a second letter, right? We do. We have a letter from JR, and this needs a little setup. So a couple weeks ago, there was a 30th anniversary screening of the classic film Valley Girl. Perhaps you've heard of it, Steve? I have. Uh, at the L.A. County Museum of Art. Yeah, they did a special screening. And JR sent us a note about it, and he offered me a ticket, which was really cool, uh, you know, very gracious. But in the end, I wasn't able to go because I had a school commitment that night. Uh, as it turns out, it was my son's uh, spring music concert uh, rearing its ugly head. Um, although I'm happy to report that this time there were no choir solos and no little girls sang to me. Um, but JR was able to go, and he sent us a note about the screening. He also sent me a bunch of other stuff that I need to forward you. Um, like he sent me a recording of the Q&A. Oh, cool. That was after. It was pretty good. Um, well, we're okay, going to come back pretty soon and do another uh, podcast and recognize the 30th anniversary of Valley Girl and hopefully get at least one of the stars um, on the podcast as well. Yeah, I was really bummed that I was not able to go, but I mean that was a that's a clear one. If I, if my kids are going to need therapy, I'd like it to be because I did something really horrible to them, not because I skipped out on their concerts to go see thirty year old movies. <laughs> read the letter. Read so, the letter. Enough of that. So here's Jr.'s letter. It was magic. A trip to 1983 and an L.A. I'd only glimpsed as a suburban Angelino kid. Before the movie's intro, they showed a digitally projected short and some promo stuff. I was in the third row, and the pixels were huge. So my heart melted when I saw spots and scratches and the fuzzy clarity of the film. So they must have switched from a digital projector to an actual film projector. This is the real deal, and the crowd was thrilled. Now, here's the line that surprised me. I'd never seen the film in its entirety. And what I had seen was on TV long ago. I'm really surprised. Wow. I, yeah. at, at this point, you would have absorbed it by now. So anyway, back to the letter. Uh, it was a new movie to me. It was like seeing an 80s reunion concert complete with adoring fans. Only Nick Cage was still 18 and wrinkle-free. Well, he's still wrinkle-free, but well, yeah. through the help of a lot of medical help. Um, so most of the acting incorporated caricature, and the dialogue was often hard to swallow. But 30 years later, it's all just so much fun. That's a great, great description right yeah. there. The music was so good. The psych furs in a movie called Valley Girl, Divine Intervention. Angst in my pants, I melt with you, my cup runneth over. Even who can it be now was there, which that was stripped from the latest uh, special edition DVD release. Not surprised. Blu-ray, please? Any, anyone? Anyone? Um, the 80s artifacts were easily spotted on the mega screen. The Devo poster was great. Maybe the Stuck Gang can name the skin-bearing blonde in another. Um, you know, to be honest, I haven't seen the movie probably in a couple years, so I don't know what what poster that would be. Uh, well, I'm willing to give it a look in the name of research. Um, so many great LA places, Dupars, the Chinese, the future Viper room, the exterior shot of the Sherman Oaks Galleria got big applause from the local crowd. Seeing the old movie marquees made me both wistful and sad. Few of those old LA theaters now remain. Director Martha Coolidge's enthusiasm and stories only added to the greatness. Screenwriter producer Adam Lane also had nuggets to share. Heidi Holliker and Cameron Dye were also in attendance. It was a great night. Wow, excellent letter, Jr. Uh, I, um, Heidi did email me. Uh, I think uh, Deborah Foreman messaged me to see if I was going to be there for that. I'm just like, guys, I live in Florida. As much as I love Valley Girl, I, you know, there's just, there's, you know, until uh, teleportation's uh, invented, I'm I'm stuck here in Orlando. Well, you could have had my ticket, but it wasn't a plane ticket. It was just a movie. Ticket. Yeah, plane ticket would have been more useful. <laughs> um, <laughs> as always, send your letters 
to sit80s at gmail.com or stevenies at gmail.com or brad in the 80s at gmail.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Hey, we'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. If you can get it right, we'll read your name. And um, if you send us a really fun story or something else, maybe we'll find some swag. I'm actually staring at this amazing DVD right here that I have. I bought this years ago that would make the perfect um, giveaway for the right winner. It has six 80s movies on one DV- in one DVD box. I was going to say, on one DVD, they have to yeah. be compressed to it within an it's inch of their per- yeah. life. Probably, there's probably two discs in here. I don't know. Ready for this? Okay, here we go. Valley Girl, The Rachel Papers, which I also, I already have that. Losing It, Tom Cruise and Shelley Long. Remember that? Last American Virgin, uh, Class, and Zapped. Oh my gosh, that's a crazy collection. Isn't it amazing? What was that marketed as? It just says uh, MGM Movie Collection, 680s movies. Oh. Huh. And they're all right here. Wow, my God. I don't know if I could part with this or not. Maybe we can we'll find see. another version at the, you know, I'll check the used record stores. Truth be told, like one, two, three, of the six movies, I already have four of them, so I can probably. <laughs> the ones I don't have, Losing It and Class. So uh, just in case. I would not buy Losing It, but I would probably buy Class if I, could, if I could find a good copy of it. Anyway, pay attention. Here's the last show's mystery clip. Husband should be like Kleenex, soft, strong, and disposable. That's Clue. Yes. Yeah, that's good. That wasn't such a surprise. I didn't get it personally. I don't think I've seen that movie all the way through, but plenty of people did. So, Brad, read out who some of the winners are. <laughs> some of the winners. You're on to me. The mystery movie moment winners this week include Matthew Letras Leshen, Howard in Fremont, but you can call me Sexual Caramel, Ken Syke Ward, Kevin Serving Wench, good one, Chris from South Lion. Pinhead, a.k.a. Oliver Klozoff. That's a good one. Shazam from St. Louis. I'm assuming that's what STL means. Donna Woodward in Roseville, California. Scott in New Hampshire. Robert Mishu, a man known only as Alex. The man known only as Rowan. And Stacy in Sparks, who already has her tickets for Lost 80s in Las Vegas on August 10th. Yeah, we still have, we're still sitting on the fence about that ourselves. We'll see what happens. Pay attention. Here's this week's Mystery clip. What do you want to do tonight? I don't know. Uh, watch TV. Mess around. Whatever you want to do. Mess around sounds good. If you know it, email us at steventhe80s at gmail.com, bradintheades at gmail.com, or sit80s at gmail.com. And then tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain of name that 80s tune. Hey, it's the original Seggy of all stuck in the 80s Seggies. All hail. <laughs> all hail, the original. Uh, as usual, we play a snippet of a song from the 80s, and it's the same drill as before. Um, it's getting harder and harder to pick these out, but and, and Brad stumped me this week. I did not know this one either. You didn't? You're two uh, for two. That makes me feel really good. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I, you know, I love the band, but uh, I did not know this one. Uh, pay attention. Here's a clip from our last show. That's the Mighty Lemon Drops with Inside Out. Inside 
Well done, Mr. Williams. Well, you know, I feel a little vindicated because when I was listening to the show back in the olden days, um, I consider myself pretty savvy in 80s music, and I get stumped all the time. And here's, here's some insider knowledge. In the old days, back when um, the maestro, Dave Morrison, used to engineer the show, and I would sit in the same room with the other co-hosts, mm-hmm. we would he would pick an engineer named that 80s tune ahead of time. He would play us the snippet of a song. So when we oh. heard it, we, honest to God, were like, well, maybe we knew it, maybe we didn't. So... And he took a lot of joy in finding ones that we uh, did not get. I just always figured that you guys were just, you know, oh, that was obviously, you know, no, no, just dropping, you, you know, making stuff up, <laughs> pretending no. you heard a clip. Yeah, no, no. It's um, in the early days for like the first, you know, I don't know how many shows that would have been, 50 shows or so. Yeah. It, it would have been Dave doing those and, and completely surprising us. Um, ever since probably show number 50, it's it's been us feigning surprise. So, okay. yeah. Not to show you too much behind the curtain there, but. Did, did we have any winners? We did have a few winners, although we stumped the, we stumped a lot of people. Uh, this week's winners include Kevin Serving Wench, uh, Chris from South Lion. I guess we're giving Chris credit. He got the name of the song but did not know the artist. Um, and Bill in Nokomis, who keeps giving me a chance to learn how to say that name. Nokomis. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us. You know the email addresses by now. And then tune in next week to find out if you are a wiener. We'll be right back after this commercial break. When America's looking for something exciting to eat, America heads for Taco Bell. All the things you love so much, leave before your eyes with the Taco Bell touch. With no sauce, hot sauce, or mild sauce too, the Taco Bell just made for you. Win classic Corvettes, VCRs, and free meals in the Wheels Reels and Meal Sweepstakes under not participating restaurants. And we're back, and um, because this shows all things adamant, um, I've asked Brad, Bradley Williams, to pull out his favorite cut from uh, what Adamant's first six albums. Well, I pulled it from the yeah the the first six, which basically takes us through the eighties. And, and these are not the hits. These are not no, the hits that I, I tried to go for things that weren't singles stuff. These are these are kind of my favorites on the album, or, or yeah. songs that I think stand out on the album. And you know when you see him play live, he does not play. Um, I don't think he plays strip. Well, uh, I don't blame him. I think he might. He might do goody two shoes. Anyway, go ahead. What's the first one? Okay, so the first time, his first album, and this was released in late '79. Dirk wears white socks, and uh, the track that I really like off this is called Xerox, um, and it's kind of a funny tune. You listen to the lyrics; it's about the the mimicry and the you know the people are copying things. So, it's a little ironic. We talked about this a little bit ago that the guy who sings, I'm never bored to steal your chords, uh, then basically did that exactly um, for Prince Charming. So here, let's, let's listen to a little bit of that. Oh, 
Excellent. I love it. And I can vouch for the fact that I'm pretty sure he plays this in concert still. Yeah, it's a catchy tune. Yeah. Uh, so his next album, Kings of the Wild Frontier, um, let's take a listen to Killer in the Home here. Uh, this is very different than a lot of other Adam and the Ant stuff. It's really spare. It's really open. Um, it's just the voice and a beat and some guitar chords. Right. And it's really wide open. Um, very different from a lot of the adamant kind of layered drums and all this stuff going on. Now, catch me if I'm wrong, is uh, Kings of the Wild Frontier the last album he did with the Ants? No, Prince Charming is also Adam and the Ants. Wrong yeah, again, Mr. Spears, yeah. I think Kings of the Wild Frontier was number one album, though, wasn't it I not? I think so, yeah. And yeah. I almost went with Jolly Roger off of this just because I think Jolly Roger is such a fun song. <laughs> but uh, I like that Killer in the Home is just such a cool song. I love how, I mean, because of like all great punk rock acts, his songs tend to be shorter. So he can do a concert and play 40 songs. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Most of his tracks are two or three minutes long. Or I should say a lot of his tracks are two or three minutes long. So the so the next album and the final Ants album would be Prince Charming. Prince what Charming. song What song did you pick off Prince it's Charming? It's the first track off Prince Charming called Scorpio. And, oh, gosh, I'm telling you, I was talking about this earlier. I heard this for the first time in a long time just the other day, and I literally spent the whole day listening to it on repeat. It's got this great horn line. I'm, just, I'm a complete sucker for a good horn line. Um, and it's just got this really full instrumentation and it's just this driving beat. It's just, it's a really cool song. Enough of me telling you how awesome it is. Let's listen to a little piece of it. Excellent song. Um, I doubt we'll hear that live. It, in the latest UK tour he did, that was that did not make the cut. Yeah, I think that would be tough to pull off. Um, just pull a flute player out for that, or you're going to have to play it on a sequencer or something, and that's just it's yeah. not going to have the same punch. And like like you heard when, when in the interview, he kind of disdains sort of the sampling and that some of the tricks of his later years. He he tends to uh, abandon those in concert and kind of go with a much more rock approach to most of these songs in yeah fact, i think that makes some sense of, right and some of them you'll he'll he'll be playing it and you'll be like i don't know what this song is right away and then yeah. suddenly he'll start with the words and you'll realize oh my god he's playing goody two-shoes it just didn't sound like it you know yeah. or something like that or uh desperate but not serious i mean that's another song where it didn't start the way you thought it would but uh still incredible in concert so the next album is what Next album is Friend or Foe. This was his first album as Adam Ant. 
Um, and this is where I came in. This is where I became a, a anime fan. I and mean, this this album, I will. This is one that I will still listen to. You know, head to head to tail. Um, and it, I enjoy the whole thing. What uh, What's the big hit off of Fender? Um, Goody Two Shoes. Okay. Yeah. Um, the deeper cut I picked from this album is Place in the Country. Let's give it a listen. Yeah, so again, the horns are back front and center on this. Um, there's a little guitar, um, but it's just in the bridge. And even if you get deeper into the song, which you can play the whole thing, um, even the, the quote-unquote guitar solo is a chord strumming that I probably could play myself, which is, <laughs> you know, means it's really, really easy. Yeah. So as we approach uh, the end of the, the first era of, of Ant, so we're in 1983 now, we get the album Strip. So Strip in 1983 is a much slicker package. Um, it's a lot more produced. It feels like all of the kind of glam and and punk aspects have feel like they've been kind of pulled out of it a bit. We're just trying some new things. Um, but I needed to pick something from this album, and so I went with the track Spanish Games. Nice pick. You know, I would say that 1983, too, by this time, he's full in on become as an MTV star. And so suddenly, you know, I mean, and let's face it, Adam Ant is, was a glam rocker because, I mean, he came up in the mid-70s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, but, you know, now we're talking eight years later, uh, MTV is calling, you know, the record company that he has signed with is probably demanding hits. Yeah. You know, radio friendly hits, MTV friendly. I'm sure hits. that's true, and I, I think when you when you take out that kind of edge to the music, then any of the coyness that's in the lyrics, you know, when the song is called "Strip," you know, hmm, I think he's talking about taking our clothes off, Steve. I'm not sure, but when it's hidden behind this, you know, this beat or a, you know, this hard edged music, it's a little. There's a little more. You know, it's, it's it's a little more subtle, maybe if that makes sense. I know it's not subtle musically, but sure, uh, it just. I don't know. I think you need that. You need that contrast, um, and I feel like that's kind of gone from this album a little bit. Sure. I mean, Adam Ant's one of the few people too who can claim one music label owned him pretty much for his entire career. It's yeah. only now with the new album that he actually has his own label and he can do things the way he wants to. Yeah. Which which he hints at to a little bit in the podcast. So what's the final album that we're drawing from today? So final album, his last album of the eighties is Viva La Rock. Uh and Viva La Rock is the um you know, the famously the the one song he played at Live Aid because his set got cut short. Um and got he got a lot of flack for that. Uh people thought he should play something that they've heard. Um, but uh, the track I picked off Viva La Rock was not Viva La Rock. I really wanted to go with Apollo 9, but people have actually heard that track before, so I went with a track called P.O.E. Yeah, 
So this is the most tangly, upbeat song about mutually assured destruction you'll ever hear. <laughs> it's actually, lyrically, it's kind of funny. You know, he's singing, you know, telling Khrushchev, you know, if you drop the bomb on us, we're going to drop the bomb on you. It's going to be great. And this little kind of happy beat underneath it. So oh, it's kind of clever. Yeah. Always the sense of humor that Danny Highway Man. Yeah. The, um, again, I cannot overest- I overstate this enough. If he's coming to your town and you're on the fence, don't be on the fence. It's... Even if you don't know as many songs as you think you should to see someone live, you're not going to see this level of showmanship um, very often these days. And chances are it's a, probably a nice-sized venue, maybe maybe a 1,000 seats or something like that. Trust yeah. me, you're not going to want to miss Adam Ant concert. And um, what an amazing opportunity. I, I mean, when we started stuck in the 80s, seven or eight years ago, the idea of talking to, to Adam Ant was just like, was to- would have been totally alien to me. It was a great interview, and I know I'm really excited about going to the show. I'm really excited about taking my son to the show. I think it's going to be really fun. I'm also really excited now that we have re-inaugurated the era of interviews on Stuck in so stay tuned. We have a bunch more planned. In fact, I don't want to give anything away because I don't want to jinx it, but I know the one I'm working on for this next week is going to be really fun to listen to. It's going to be a hell of a summer, kids. <laughs> Stick around. So, Adam, I thank you again for spending a half hour of your time with me. Brad, uh, you are my rock as always, helping me figure out uh, some of these deep album cuts. I hope you uh, have a great time at the L.A. concert. I know you will, and uh, I expect a guest review for the blog afterwards. Absolutely. In the meantime, uh, plenty of Adam Ant stuff available for for download. Go take a listen to uh, Cool Zombie off the new album. In the meantime, Adam Ant, myself, Bradley, we remain here, hopelessly. Stuck in the 80s. (laughs) 